From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing, Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance, and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Welcome you with you on this Friday, December eighth, twenty twenty-three. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, Chinese Premier Li Qiang has co-chaired a summit with EU leaders in Beijing. Fierce fighting between Israel and Hamas are reported in southern Gaza. Greece and Turkey have pledged to strengthen bilateral cooperation. In business, the IMF reiterates upward revision of China's growth forecast. In sports, Beijing rallies past Shanxi in the CBA Games. In culture and entertainment, a global exhibition hosted by China Media Group has opened in Japan. Now, today's top stories. Chinese Premier Li Qiang says China and the European Union should stay committed to dialogue rather than confrontation, cooperation rather than decoupling, and peace rather than conflict. Premier Li made the remarks while co-chairing the 24th China-EU summit with European Council President Charles Michel and European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen in Beijing. Li said China is willing to actively explore more mutually beneficial cooperation models with the EU. He said China opposes the violation of the basic norms of the market economy and opposes politicizing economic and trade issues or overstretching the concept of security. The Chinese Premier also said China hopes the EU will keep its trade and investment markets open, noting that the EU is willing to be credible and reliable partner of China. Michel and von der Leyen said the bloc is ready to advance high-level dialogue with China to reduce misunderstanding, deepen cooperation, and address global challenges. Before heading back to Europe, Charles Michel and Ursula von der Leyen held a press conference and the European Union delegation to China in Beijing. Earlier, the Chinese Foreign Ministry said settling differences through dialogue is important for the development of China-EU relations. For more, here's Zheng Chunying with this report. This is the first in-person China-EU summit in almost four years. During the pressure, uh, President of the European Council, Charles Michel, said a stable bilateral relation meets the needs of both people, and he reiterated the continent's support to the One China principle as well. And for her part, a President of European Commission, uh, von der Leyen, said the Europe does not want to, in her words, decouple with China, and she called the two sides to enhance cooperation in fields of uh, green development as well as artificial intelligence. Let's take a listen. We have just concluded our EU-China summit 
And first, I would like to thank President Xi and Prime Minister Li for hosting us today. The EU and China, we have a shared interest in a stable and constructive relationship. And this must be based on respect for the international rules-based order. We discussed our trade and economic relationship. The EU and China are major economic partners and global powerhouses. We trade over 2 billion euros in goods every day. We like competition. It makes us better. It lowers prices. It's good for the consumers. But competition needs to be fair. We insist on fair competition within the single market. Therefore, we also insist on fair competition from companies that come to our single market. And that willingness to seek more common grounds was also shared by Chinese side. And during another presser held by Chinese officials uh, who spoke highly of the achievements that have been made in bilateral trade over the past two decades, uh, citing two-way trade has grown by six times and the two-way investment by over five-fold and called for more collaborations in this regard. And also during the briefing, uh, Chinese officials said that uh, China also expressed concerns to the EU side on its de-risk and restrictive economic and trade policies. Uh, for example, the anti-subsidy investigations against Chinese electric vehicles, uh, as well as its 5G policies. But the Chinese side has urged the EU to uh, ensure openness of its trade and investment market uh, to provide an equitable and non-discriminatory business environment. And the EU side has committed that it would not decouple from China or uh, turning worse, and would follow the WTO rules and the principles Play. That was Zheng Truying reporting. China should not be held accountable for the bilateral trade imbalance with the EU, and the trade surplus is not China's target. That's according to Wang Lutong, Director General of the Department of European Affairs and the Chinese Foreign Ministry. If you look at trade for this year, the trade um, between EU and the rest of the world actually improved, and you are registering trade surplus. According to our statistics, in the first 10 months of this year, our trade with the EU was uh, 117 billion euros. That is more than 20% down from the 211 billion euros that we registered uh, last year. Most of the exports from China to European continent actually are from the joint ventures between China and the European uh, capitals. According to our statistics, 40% of the export of uh, European businesses stationed in China went back to, to Europe. We are very keen uh, to importing uh, more produce from uh, Europe, particularly the high advanced um, technologies and uh, high valued um, the products. And we hope that uh, Euro, uh, the Brussels will not put any barriers to the trade. Wang's remarks come after Brussels expressed growing concerns over a trade deficit with Beijing. China and Singapore have agreed to promote the joint construction of the Belt and Road Initiative and upgrade key cooperation projects between the two countries. They also pledged to expand cooperation in digital economy and marine energy sectors and establish a diversified people-to-people -people exchange pattern. These are the outcomes of a meeting between Chinese Vice Premier Ding Xuexiang and Singaporean Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Lawrence Wang. They also co-chaired four bilateral cooperation meetings in Beijing. 
Earlier, the two countries said they will introduce a 30-day mutual visa exemption agreement early next year. Additionally, the two countries. Uh, central banks are also starting a pilot program to allow travelers from both countries to use China's eCNY digital currency for tourism spending in both Singapore and China. Now, for more on the upcoming mutual visa waiver program between China and Singapore, here's Alia Sani. The latest announcement from China and Singapore to introduce a mutual 30-day visa-free arrangement is certainly music to the ears of travelers. While both sides are still working out the operational details with the aim of implementing the scheme in early 2024, the news has already sparked a sense of excitement here. A few Singaporeans I spoke to have started making plans to travel to China. Some have even checked ticket prices for next year. Now, currently, Chinese passport holders have to apply for a visa to enter Singapore. However, China has already resumed a 15-day visa-free facility for Singaporeans from July this year. This is more than three years after it was originally suspended due to the pandemic. Now, the 30-day visa-free proposal was announced by Singapore Deputy Prime Minister Lawrence Wong on Thursday. This was done during the 19th Joint Council for Bilateral Cooperation meeting. This is the highest-level bilateral forum between Singapore and China. Wong, who co-chaired the meeting with Chinese Vice Premier Deng Xiaoping, said that the agreement would enable more people-to-people exchanges. Thereby fortifying the bedrock of bilateral relations, Mr. Wong also noted that flight connectivity between the two countries has improved, and that both countries are now hoping to surpass even the pre-pandemic levels. As per the latest data shared by Changi Airport, there are currently 13 airlines flying to 25 cities in China from Singapore. Now, the visa-free arrangement is also expected to give a much-needed boost to Singapore's tourism industry. Which had previously relied very heavily on Chinese tourists, travelers from China accounted for 18% of visitor arrivals in 2019. They were also the biggest spenders, generating over 672 million US dollars. However, in the first nine months of this year, arrivals from China have only reached 35% of 2019 levels. So observers from the tourism industry believe that allowing for visa-free entry will be a boom for travelers, especially for those who need to fly to Singapore on short notice for both personal and business purposes. That was Ali Asani reporting from Singapore. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi has urged the member states of the Lanzhong-Mekong Cooperation Mechanism to build a closer community with a shared future and create a more interconnected economic development belt. Wang made the remarks while jointly hosting the Lanzhong-Mekong Cooperation Foreign Ministers Meeting in Beijing with Myanmar's Deputy Prime Minister Wu Thangxue, who is also the country's foreign minister. Thursday's meeting was the eighth edition of the event, which was first launched in 2016. Dong Xue has the story. Senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi said the Lanzhong-Mekong Cooperation or LMC mechanism has played a leading role in regional cooperation and created benefits for people from these countries since being launched seven years ago. Wang made the remarks in Beijing while co-chairing the LMC Foreign Ministers meeting with Myanmar's Deputy Prime Minister Yu Tamsui. The meeting's theme was forging into modernization and faster sub-regional development, which, according to Wang, will further strengthen cooperation between these countries. 
Modernization is the only way for Lansang Mekong countries to achieve common development. We hope to promote more practical cooperation in the sub-region and work together with other countries to forge into modernization while achieving our own development, but also inject new impetus into the development of the region and the world at large. This is the eighth time the foreign ministers from Myanmar, Laos, Cambodia, Thailand, Vietnam and China have discussed regional cooperation. Myanmar's deputy prime minister said a five-year plan of cooperation has been formed and the group will continue to explore ways to expand that cooperation. We are now exploring the possibility of building the MLC comprehensive information platform for agricultural economy, trade and technologies. We have also exchanged views on ways and means to strengthen the cooperation in energy policy particularly in the areas of electric vehicle, emergency and energy conservation and efficiency, among others. Wang said the meeting will be paving the way for a leaders' summit among LMC countries. Moving forward, foreign ministers have pledged to strengthening cooperation in areas such as trade, economy, tourism, as well as cultural exchanges. They've also vowed to make the mechanism more inclusive and to better foster global connectivity. That was Deng Xue in Beijing. Coming up, fierce fighting between Israel and Hamas are reported in southern Gaza. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms Get ready to dive in. It's 13 minutes past the hour. Residents in the southern Gaza city of Khan Yunis have reported fierce fighting between Israel and Hamas. Israel says its forces killed a number of gunmen in the city. Palestinian health officials say three Gazans were killed in an Israeli airstrike on a house. Videos and photos that could not be independently verified appeared on Israeli TV showing what it said were captured or captured Hamas fighters sitting in a Gaza city street. Some Palestinians recognized relatives and denied they had any link to Hamas or any other group. Sarah Coates has more from Tel Aviv. The military has been saying that fighting is intensifying, taking place right across the Strip. The army has just released some video of what it says are airstrikes on armed militants in the north. Well, there are also un- unverified pictures circulating on social media which appear to show uh, large numbers of young men. This is near the Jabalia refugee camp, also in the north, that their hands are tied behind their backs and they are sitting on the road. Now, look, we do understand, uh, according to uh, Israeli sources, it hasn't been verified or clarified or commented on by the Israeli military, but the military believes that these are Hamas operatives. There are then reports that these men were put in the back of trucks and taken away and potentially interrogated. Now, as I said, there's been no comment yet from the Israeli military on this. But look, social media is absolutely flooded right now with these pictures. But look, fighting is also continuing right down in the south in Khan Yunus. This is where Israel believes senior Hamas operatives are hiding, including the leader of Hamas in the Gaza Strip, Yaya Sinwar. The military says it's completely surrounded his home in Khan Yunus, but he isn't believed to actually be home. The Israeli... 
military believes he's hiding in one of these underground tunnels. But look, he is Israel's most wanted man. The military continues to say that he has a target on his back. It will hunt him down and kill him. And look, Sinwar is very familiar with the Israeli system. He speaks Hebrew very fluently. He was incarcerated in Israeli prisons for two decades. Uh, so he certainly uh, probably wouldn't be an easy person to catch. But Israel is adamant that it will hunt him down and kill him. That was Sarah Coates reporting from Tel Aviv. The recent clashes between Israel and Hamas have resulted in the, de in the death of hundreds of Palestinians in Gaza. For more about the situation on the ground, here's Noor Harazin. The death toll here in Gaza over the past week since the uh, ending of this truce agreement it has reached 2,214 people that were killed, including 724 children, which means that uh, more than 100 children were killed here in Gaza every day, every single day since the end of uh, the truce. Talking about the latest here on the ground, uh, let's begin with northern Gaza. Even though the Israeli tanks withdrew from some areas in central Gaza and uh, west Gaza, but still there is intensive Israeli attacks on Jubalia refugee camp and also a Shijaiya neighborhood which is located in uh, eastern uh, middle Gaza. Paramedics and doctors there are talking about a big number of casualties, big number of people who were killed and they are still um, thrown in the streets actually without any ambulances or any paramedic can reach them because of the shooting of uh, Israeli snipers. Here in uh, middle Gaza there is continuous Israeli bombings. Actually uh, some of the latest uh, strikes happened just around the uh, Shahada al-Aqsa where I am standing right now. Talking about the city of Khan Yunis is now uh, this city is the second uh, biggest city here in the coastal enclave and is being besieged by the Israeli uh, tanks. They are taking control of its main roads and apparently they are heading or they want to go to reach the uh, Al-Nasser medical complex in a scenario that is so close to uh, the Ashifa hospital scenario that happened in northern Gaza a few weeks ago. That was Noor Harrison on the grave humanitarian situation in Gaza. An investigation by Reuters has found that an Israeli tank crew fired two shells in quick succession from Israel, killing a Reuters journalist and wounding six more in southern Lebanon on October 13th. The group was filming cross-border shelling from a distance at the time of the strike. Two international human rights groups called it a direct attack on civilians and urged those responsible to be held accountable. An Israeli government spokesperson denied that Israeli forces targeted non-combatants. According to the nonprofit committee to protect journalists, at least 63 journalists have been killed since the conflict began on October the 7th. U.S. Republicans have refused to approve more funding for Ukraine. That's after President Joe Biden asked Congress for more than $100 billion for Ukraine and other security needs. Ukrainian officials have said there is a high possibility Kiev could lose the war if the U.S. Congress fails to approve new funding. Magumi Lim has more. Well, look, people here are concerned, soldiers are concerned, and Ukrainian officials are, of course, concerned the war is about to enter into its third year and the United States, the U.S. Congress has not uh, passed any new funding for Ukraine. And as we know, the United States has been the biggest donor of uh, weapons and military aid uh, for Ukraine throughout the war. 
and the fighting has not stopped even though the winter season has settled in and the fighting although has slowed down because of uh, conditions on the ground because of the snow and because of the cold weather it has continued and it doesn't help that this fighting has largely turned into an attritional one along the thousand kilometer long front line both ukrainian and russian forces have been firing thousands of artillery shells uh, at each other uh, trying to wear both sides down and this is an incredibly exhausting way uh, to fight this war where we have not seen any significant gains or advances from uh, either side and soldiers are of course wondering how long more can they continue on like this and it is getting harder especially uh, for Ukrainian forces to hold the line if there isn't more funding and assistance from the United States and uh, Ukrainian forces also know that Russia has more manpower uh, to keep this war uh, going so it is a huge concern and uh, just yesterday the United States uh, Secretary of State uh, Anthony Blinken announced that uh, there will be a new uh, defense aid package worth 175 million dollars which will come from a previously approved uh, presidential drawdown and he said very clearly that this could be one of the last uh, defense aid packages for ukraine if the u.s congress doesn't approve uh, any new funding and this is of course a very sobering reality that ukraine uh, has to face and Andriy Yermak, who is Zelensky's chief of staff also, as he has been visiting Washington, uh, met, made a very clear statement to U.S. officials that if the U.S. Congress fails to uh, approve new funding for Ukraine swiftly, there is a very high possibility that Ukraine could lose the war against Russia. That was Mogumilim in Kiev. The UN Humanitarian Affairs Agency says the fighting between the Sudanese armed forces and the RSF paramilitary group that broke out in April has so far left over 12,000 people dead. It also says about 5.3 million people have been displaced within Sudan, but it also noted a decline in battles, explosions and remote violence compared to the previous four weeks. The warring parties have reached several truces since Saudi Arabia and the U.S. began mediating in May. Coming up, Greece and Turkey have pledged to strengthen bilateral cooperation. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. It's 21 minutes past the hour. Leaders of Greece and Turkey have pledged to strengthen bilateral cooperation. This comes as Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan paid his first visit to Athens since 2017. I believe that seeing the glass half full will be much better for the future of the two sides. Erdogan headed a delegation of ministers to discuss cooperation in various sectors with the Greek government during the 5th Greece-Turkey High-Level Cooperation Council. He's also held a separate meeting with his Greek counterpart Katerina Sakalaropoulou. The Greek president says the two countries should continue developing their relationship, even if they have differences on many issues. 
With the knowledge of the fact that they are subjects that we have different approaches on, it is important to keep and develop the constructive climate. Your presence today in Greece after six years, I believe, mirrors this positive spirit. Erdogan's visit ended with the signing of the Athens Declaration on Friendly Relations and Good Neighborliness. In the U.S., a potential motive is taking shape in the mass shooting on a Las Vegas University campus. The perpetrator is believed to have been a disgruntled job seeker in financial distress. Four people were killed and one injured in Wednesday's attack. Disturbing new details show the shooter also had a fascination with conspiracy theories. Tony Waterman has more from Las Vegas. Officials in Las Vegas investigating whether Wednesday's mass shooting was one of revenge. The alleged gunman, 67-year-old Anthony Polito, a career professor with links to colleges in North Carolina and Georgia. According to multiple reports, he had applied for a job at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas in 2020, but was rejected. Police said Polito was armed with a 9mm handgun, which he had bought legally last year and that he had brought 150 rounds of ammunition with him to the scene. We know he applied numerous times for a job with several Nevada higher education institutions and was denied each time. The suspect had a list of people he was seeking on a university campus, as well as faculty from the Eastern Carolina University. Police identified two of the victims, including 64-year-old business professor Cha Jun Chang and 39-year-old assistant professor Patricia Navarro-Velez, both shot in the head. The third victim's next of kin is still being located. The fourth victim, who survived the attack, has been downgraded to life-threatening condition. Our detectives learned prior to the shooting the suspect had earlier visited a Henderson post office and sent 22 letters to various university personnel across the country with no return address. The first letter that we opened had a unknown white powder substance in it. A personal blog shows a fascination with unsolved mysteries and conspiracy theories, claiming to have identified the Zodiac killer and theorizing that the disappearance of Malaysia Airlines flight MH370 was a failed radical terrorist hijacking intended to destroy the Petronas Towers in Kuala Lumpur. Then we received a notification that uh, the shooter or shooters were at the student union, which is where we were. Cesar Marquez was in a meeting with about 70 students when the shooting started. He says they locked the doors, shut off the lights, and hid behind tables. There's some scary times when somebody, you know, tried to open the door and we weren't sure if it was the shooter or if it was the, the police. Um, and then there was some sightings from, from either the SWAT team or the Metro Police uh, giving somebody instructions to either run or get down. I, I wasn't sure. Classes have been canceled for the rest of the week as students and this community grapple with yet another instance of senseless bloodshed in America. That was Tony Waterman on the Las Vegas shooting. Young people continue to make a strong impression at the climate talks and the ongoing COP28 in Dubai. The United Nations Children's Agency, UNICEF, is bringing young climate activists and innovators to the conference to show their work and opinions to world leaders. It says it's cooperating with China to empower students to engage with climate issues. Adolal Mahuri reports from Dubai. 
Youth and children are the most vulnerable to the impact of climate change. The UN says that 1 billion children are at extreme high risk. COP27 in Egypt last year saw a landmark achievement of establishing the first youth and children pavilion in the climate talks. Here in Dubai, the initiative continues. And what we do as UNICEF is really to provide that platform to young people, not only that we prevent even worse emissions, that we protect them against climate change, but also that they are allowed to participate in decisions that affect their future. That's why this youth pavilion is so important, because this is every child's right. This is about their future. Now, children should not be asked to solve the problem that world leaders collectively have generated, but they should be able and enabled to put pressure on those world leaders to take decisive action right now at COP28. UN programs are in place to engage more students in climate action, and UNICEF says cooperation with China in that regard has been commendable. We have very active collaboration with the government of China. And that is really important, not only because there are 300 million young people and children in school in China. So just imagine what we can do if we can harness the power of 300 million young people and equip them for a green future. The UN's children's body is concerned about the impact of climate change on schools. A UNICEF report suggests that when schools shut down for at least three months because of climate episodes, like the floods that took place in Libya's Derna, that could shrink the lifetime earnings of students by 15% when they grow up. That's why UNICEF has launched programs to build climate resilient schools to make sure that youth continue their work for climate change. That was Adal Al Mahuri reporting. It's 28 minutes past the hour. Let's check the weather. Beijing is clear overnight with a low of zero. Saturday will be sunny with a high of seven. Chongqing is 11 this evening, cloudy and 18 tomorrow. Last night's minus three overnight. Tomorrow sunny and 12. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, Chinese Premier Li Qiang has co-chaired a summit with EU leaders in Beijing. Fierce fighting between Israel and Hamas are reported in southern Gaza. Greece and Turkey have pledged to strengthen bilateral cooperation. Do Hong Yu with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. I love you. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world, this is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Do Hongyu with you on this Friday. Still to come in business, China's foreign trade up 1.2% in November. In sports, Beijing rallies past Shanxi in the CBA Games. In culture and entertainment, a global exhibition hosted by China Media Group has opened in Japan. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. But first, today's headlines, here's Zhu Tianlu. Thank you, De Hongyu. 
Chinese Premier Li Qiang has co-chaired a China-EU summit pledging to expand trade with the European Union, deepen green partnership, establish digital partnership, and enhance people-to-people exchanges. He told European Council President Charles Michel and EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen that China stands ready to work with the EU to strengthen cooperation and make bilateral relations more stable, constructive, and mutually beneficial. The two EU leaders expressed the bloc's readiness to work more closely with China on trade, agriculture, climate and artificial intelligence. China's foreign ministry says both sides have committed to openness, expressed their opposition to decoupling and agreed to choose dialogue to handle their differences. China is aiming to reduce PM2.5 density in cities at the prefecture level and above by 10% by 2025 compared to the 2020 level. A state council action plan on improving air quality says the country will support green industrial shifts, the building of a cleaner energy mix and a low-carbon transport system. The plan lists the Beijing, Tianjin, Hebei region and its surrounding areas, as well as the Yangtze River Delta region as among key areas. Armenia and Azerbaijan say they will exchange prisoners of war and work towards normalizing relations. 32 Armenians are expected to be freed in exchange for two Azerbaijani servicemen. The European Union has hailed the move as a breakthrough. The two countries have been locked in a decades-long conflict over the Nagorno-Karabakh region, which Azerbaijan reclaimed after a lightning offensive in September. Both countries have said a peace agreement could be signed by the end of the year, but peace talks have seen little progress. South American countries have urged Venezuela and Guyana to seek a peaceful solution to their ongoing territorial dispute over the Essequibo region. They called on the two sides to engage in dialogue and avoid unilateral actions. Meanwhile, the UN Security Council has called an urgent meeting for Friday in response to the rising tension. The territorial dispute flared up after Venezuelans backed a referendum on Sunday to claim sovereignty over an oil and mineral-rich area that is now part of Guyana. Seychelles has declared a state of emergency after a blast at an explosive store and a major destruction caused by flooding triggered by heavy rains. The blast has caused massive damage to an industrial area in Providence, Mahi, the largest and most populous island of the African country. Heavy rainfall has also caused mudslides that damaged properties and swept onto roads in some areas. Authorities have ordered that everyone stay at home and all schools be closed. Only workers in the essential services and travellers are allowed free movement. A federal court has charged the son of U.S. President Joe Biden with tax evasion. Hunter Biden faces a total of nine criminal counts for engaging in a four-year scheme to avoid paying $1.4 million U.S. million in taxes. He could be sentenced to a maximum of 17 years in prison if convicted. Train drivers in Germany have staged a fresh strike. The state-owned rail operator says the protest, which is the fourth this year, will have a huge impact on the railway service. The union is demanding a reduction of weekly working hours from 38 to 35 with full pay compensation. It also wants a one-year wage increase of 555 euros, or about 600 US dollars per month, and an inflation bonus of 3,000 euros. 
Canada has announced it will more than double the cost of living financial requirement for incoming international students starting next year. A single applicant will need to show they have over fifteen thousand U.S. dollars in addition to their first year of tuition and travel costs. The cost of living requirement has not changed since the early 2000s, when it was set at over 7,300 U.S. dollars. Authorities say the financial requirement has not kept up with the cost of living over time, resulting in students arriving in Canada only to learn that their funds are not adequate. International education accounts for over 16 billion U.S. dollars in Canada's annual economic activity, supporting more than 200,000 jobs. Japan's parliament has approved a bill to legalize medical products using substances derived from cannabis, while criminalizing the use of the drug. The revised laws, taking effect within a year, will classify cannabis and the psychoactive chemical THC found in the drug as regulated narcotics. Japan already pre- prohibits marijuana possession and cultivation. The new laws will now criminalize its use as well, with violators facing a potential seven-year prison sentence. Growing the plants to produce medical products will be allowed. Thank you very much. That was Zhu Tianlu. This is Do Hongyu in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, the IMF reiterates upward revision of China's growth forecast. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Sixty minutes of comprehensive news. Your window on China and the world. It's thirty-six minutes past the hour. Turning to business, stock markets on the Chinese mainland closed higher on Friday. Wang Ying has more. Uh, mainland stocks uh, edged up slightly today. The Shanghai Composite Index added 0.11%, while the Shenzhen Component Index rose 0.36%, erasing losses from the previous session as risk sentiment improved. Still, investors remained cautious ahead of Chinese inflation data that could influence economic and monetary policies. The CSI 300 Index lost about 2% for the week, but it did close today's trade up 0.24%. And across the board, tech. Technology stocks led the advance as shares in artificial intelligence rose 3.12 percent, and communications equipment added 4.4 percent, with strong gains from Haigan Information Technology, Zhongqi Inalite, and China National Software. On the downside, real estate developers fell 1.34 percent as Shanghai New Huangpu Industrial Group dipped to 6.66 percent, and both Beijing Dalongweiye Real Estate and Nanjing Qixia Development lost more than 5 percent. That was Wang Ying in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index closed slightly below flat. In Japan, the Nikkei was down 1.7 percent. China has unveiled a plan to promote the development of Shanghai Pilot Free Trade Zone now in its tenth year. The plan includes 80 measures to facilitate trade in goods and services and promote digital trade. It also includes measures to strengthen the protection of trademarks and patents. Launched in 2013, the Shanghai Free Trade Zone aims to explore new paths and accumulate experience for the country's all-round reform and opening up. China and Singapore have signed a protocol to further upgrade the free trade agreement between the two countries. Both sides agree to shorten negative lists for investment and further expand cooperation in the digital economy and other emerging areas. The two sides also agreed to streamline procedures to ensure that the protocol to take effect as soon as possible. The China-Singapore Free Trade Agreement was signed in 2008. 
The International Monetary Fund has reiterated its upward revision of China's economic growth forecasts for 2023 and 2024. Early last month, the IMF upgraded its forecast for the Chinese economy for 2023 to 5.4 percent from 5 percent, as compared with its World Economic Outlook released in October. The prediction for 2024 is raised to 4.6 percent from 4.2 percent. IMF spokesperson Julie Kozak says China has the potential to raise this medium-term growth through structural reforms to boost productivity and improve labor force participation. China's foreign exchange reserves came in at over three trillion U.S. dollars, up around two percent from the previous month. Authorities say the sound fundamentals for long-term economic growth stayed unchanged. The number of Colombians who declared bankruptcy this year is one third higher than 2022. While this may indicate harder times for Colombians, some experts say the good news is that more people are using bankruptcy laws to recover. Michelle Beggy has more. More than 4,500 Colombians declared bankruptcy from January to September 2023, with three months still left in the year. That number already represented a 33% increase from 2022. The biggest reason for this is the rise in interest rates because a person's debt grows as they get older and continues to grow as they approach 45 to 50 years of age. Those who maybe took out loans for housing last year are now swimming in debts. Interest rates went up, the cost of food went up, inflation rises, and people start to have to choose between paying debts and purchasing their meals. There is no government data yet, but Colombia's IFI intelligence firm compiles bankruptcy statistics every year from the Justice Ministry, notaries, and information from more than 15,000 companies. The IFI study shows Colombians cite lack of work, financial disruption, loan sharks, credit card debt, and inflation as reasons why they declare bankruptcy. Other data revealed is that the average salary of the person declaring bankruptcy is 750 U.S. dollars. To 1,500 U.S. dollars a month. One Colombian economist expects growth in bankruptcy. Although the unemployment rate has been falling, economic growth has fallen steeply from last year. We need two things: to contain the economic slowdown, and the government has to do a series of things to contain it. And secondly, to have patience in inflation rates because it won't get to the goals, and that is something we need to take into consideration when it comes to bankruptcy. Colombia's president has asked the central bank to lower interest rates to support economic growth, but the bank has maintained it at 13.25 percent. Luis Alberto Benitez, director of the firm Financial Intelligence and Insolvency, or IFI, says these numbers are a positive sign that Colombians are learning how to use the Colombian bankruptcy laws to help them restructure their financial lives. That was Michelle Beggy reporting. A historic labor dispute officially comes to an end as Hollywood actors vote to ratify a new contract with major film studios. Nearly 80 percent of the union members who participated voted in favor of the new deal. Eddie Tiansan has more. Actors in Hollywood have formally ended six months of labor unrest in the entertainment industry. 
Members of the SAG-AFTRA union voted overwhelmingly on Tuesday in favor of a new three-year contract. I think having almost an 80% yes vote with almost a 40% turnout for our members, that's really unprecedented for any kind of uh, contract where it's not just a unanimous chorus of yeses. The vote brings an end to the 118-day walkout by actors and other performers, which followed a separate writer's strike earlier this year. Union leaders are confident the gains made in their agreement made it worth the trouble. No one has ever had a billion dollars in gains in one contract term before, not us or any other union in this industry. Uh, it has huge improvements in a whole number of areas besides AI, like casting, self-tapes. Uh, we broke the industry minimum wage pattern. Uh, you know, we established the streaming bonus fund for the first time. So many things that our members said they wanted and needed are addressed in this contract. The contract is not without issues, as some members would have liked to have seen stronger protections against the use of artificial intelligence. And the reality is, there are members who've spoken out a lot over the last three weeks about their concerns, primarily about artificial intelligence. Um, I'm very, very mindful of and, and I consider their concerns legitimate. Um, I think those concerns are mostly directed at the question of trying to just stop AI or ban AI or block AI, which from a strategic point of view, I, I don't agree that that's feasible or practical. The vote marks the ramping up of filming on Hollywood sets once again. But the full recovery of the movie industry is expected to take months as the prolonged production shutdown took out thousands of jobs in the entertainment industry. That was Eddie Stiansong reporting. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, Beijing rallies past Shanxi in the CBA Games. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. It's 45 minutes past the hour. Turning to sports, here's Li Yunqi. Thanks, Hongyu. Starting with the Chinese Basketball Association, the Beijing Ducks beat the Shanxi Longs 117-97 at home to end the visitors' seven-game winning streak. Marcus King helping the hosts fly past Alexei Shved and his teammates in a battle of two point guards that have infused new life into their squads. Damian Jones has more. Shanxi's momentum carries over well for most of the first half in Thursday's contest, with Alexei Shevet repeatedly finding open teammates like Ge Jiaobao in the paint and Xing Jiechang behind the arc. The Lungs in the first quarter leading by nine and stay on the front foot well into the second, leaving the squad's reformulated chemistry on full display. Beijing's offense has also picked up with the addition of former NCAA scoring leader Marcus King, who pours in a game-high 29 points in his third appearance with the Ducks and first at home. The explosive performance against the team from Taiyuan, coming on the heels of drilling Monday's winning shot in overtime versus capital rivals Beikong. I think uh, just, you know, taking some of the pressure off myself. I, I know this team has high expectations and also have high expectations of myself. And uh, I think I was probably just, you know, just still getting used to the game and getting used to the physicality in this league. But uh, now that I, you know, I'm feeling comfortable, my confidence is 
how my teammates trust me and uh, I'm starting to be who I am. The 117-97 victory gives the Capitol crew at least a split of the season series against the Looms, with two more clashes scheduled down the stretch, and things aren't getting any easier for either side, as Saturday's slate sends Shanxi on the road against Xinjiang, while the Ducks welcome Guangdong to Wukasong in hopes of building a winning streak of their own. That was Damian Jones reporting. In other CBA games, the Shandong Heroes overcame the Jiangsu Dragons 116-95. Gao Shiyan from the host team contributed 23 points, 11 rebounds, and 5 assists. The Fujian Sturgeons prevailed over the Qingdao Eagles 96-88, despite 19 points, 25 rebounds, and 8 assists from the visiting team's Yan Hansen. In table tennis, at the inaugural ITTF Mixed Team World Cup in Chengdu, host China continued their undefeated streak with 8-1 demolition of France in the second stage. In the first mixed doubles match, China's world number one pair Sun Yingsha and Wang Chuqing dominated Yuan Jianan and Alexis Lebron 11-1, 11-8, and 11-3. In the following women's singles, world number two Wang Manyu extended China's lead to six games with a victory over Pritika Pavet. Despite a setback in the second game of men's singles to prodigy Felix Lebron, world number one Fan Zhendong triumphed to complete the 8-1 win. China will next face Germany on Friday. Turning to winter sports, China's Gu Ailing eased into the final of the FIS Free Ski Halfpipe World Cup in Chongli, Hebei Province. Gu finished first in the qualification rounds despite an injury. I feel good. In the past two days, I couldn't complete my whole routine, but I made it in today's practice. And I did well under a lot of pressure, so I feel very happy. During exercises, my mom was helping me bandage my shoulder, but things are better at this moment. I want to thank all the fans for supporting me. The final is on Saturday, and I hope I will continue to compete with all the fans' support. Today's competition built up my confidence, and I'm looking forward to the next one. I'm coming home. Last month, Gu injured her shoulder while training in Austria. But after consulting with a doctor, she decided to postpone a possible surgery in order to attend the World Cup at the Genting Snow Park, where she won gold at the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics. Gu ranked second after her first run on Thursday. But the 20-year-old then busted out the big tricks that helped her win gold at the Olympics and earned 94.75 points in her second round to lead the 15 competitors. Hannah Falhaber of the United States finished second, followed by China's Li Fanhui and Zhang Keqing in third and fourth place. The Chinese short track speed skating team has been busy training for the third stop of the 2023-24 International Skating Union Short Track Speed Skating World Cup. The event will take place from Friday to Sunday at the Capital Indoor Stadium in Beijing. The Chinese team will be comprised of six men and six women for the Beijing stop. Two-time men's Winter Olympics champion Ren Ziwei will make his comeback to the international stage after being selected for the national team since the Beijing Winter Olympics. Ren says he feels good about the upcoming competition. I hope to witness an improvement in my competitive level and performance. In the first two stops of this season, the Chinese team claimed four gold medals, one silver medal, and one bronze medal. Three of the gold medals were from the relay events. Head coach Zhang Jing expresses confidence in the male athletes of the Chinese team. 
In terms of individual events, we currently have a strong competitive edge in the men's short-distance races, and we are also working hard to enhance their physical training to improve their performance in the middle and long-distance events. I believe they will make even greater progress in the near future. On the women's team, John acknowledges that while they are getting stronger, there is still a gap between them and international top-level athletes. The ISU Figure Skating Grand Prix final has opened in Beijing, with the top six skaters in the world in the four events competing for the final awards of the year. The competition is divided into an adult group and a young group. No Chinese skaters have made it to the final. The pairs short program of the adult group featured Canadian duo Deanna Stellato Dudek and Maxim Deschamps, and German pair Minerva Hase and Nikita Volodin. Hase and Volodin finished first with 72.56 points, while the Canadian duo ranked second with 71.22. The German pair expressed the excitement after the match. It was just a great feeling to skate.、Uh, my partner was sick last week and is also still a little bit sick, so I'm so proud of him that he did an amazing job today. I was so happy we can do our work, but we didn't skate in one week before. <laughs> yeah. And it's new experience for us, and now we do and 50% works. <laughs> Tomorrow another 50%. In motorcycle news, Max Banyaya is expecting an even tougher defense of his MotoGP crown in 2024. Despite only clinching his second successive world title on the final day of the 2023 season, it was a long journey this season. Also mentally, it was very demanding, but I think it was、uh, it has been fantastic for everything we we did. We started in the best way possible. I apart Argentina and Austin that I crashed, but in second part of the season、uh, after Barcelona, I mean, I I started to struggle a bit more. The 26-year-old Italian became only the third rider in the last 25 years to successfully defend the Premier Class title, following in the footsteps of the greats Valentino Rossi and Mark Marquez. San Francisco is hosting its first world title boxing match in over a decade at the Chase Center this weekend. The highly anticipated fight is between WBC super lightweight champion Regis Progre and undefeated challenger Devin Haney. The two fighters squared off at the press conference Thursday. Alhamdulillah, I'm happy to be here. This is a, a, a dream come true. You know, being in you know a big event back to the Bay Area, and uh, Saturday uh, it's going to be a great night for me and my team.、Uh, I'm going in there to you know go in there and hurt him and show him, dismantle him, and show him that I'm just on a different level.、Um, The world will see how great Devin Haney really is. This is the fight to take me to superstar, man. It's my time, and you know, this is my moment. This is my destiny. I'm a shine. I'm gonna hurt this little boy. I'm gonna hurt this little boy. California native Haney is coming back to the Bay Area for his first fight in his hometown since turning pro in 2015. Haney is moving up a weight class to challenge Progre for his WBC super lightweight title. Progre last fought in June in his hometown of New Orleans, where he recorded a split decision win over Danielito Solisa to successfully defend his title. Promoters say tickets for the fight on Saturday night have sold out. Thank you very much. That was Li Yunqi. Coming up in culture and entertainment, a global exhibition hosted by China Media Group has opened in Japan. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X Men: Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world.
It's 54 minutes past the hour. Turning to culture and entertainment, here's Wang Zihang. Thank you, Hong Yu. A global exhibition hosted by China Media Group has opened to public in Japan. The Tokyo leg of the exhibition is the eighth stop of the journey through Civilization's World Tour, which is also the last stop this year. Using digital technologies, the exhibition displays archaeological discoveries bear witness to the origins and evolution of the Chinese civilization. More than 100 guests from China and Japan, including representatives from Japan's political, academic, economic, and media communities, attended the launch ceremony. Addressing the event, former Japanese Prime Minister Yasuo Fukuda said, "Japan, China has played a positive role in the development of world civilizations." He encouraged Japanese people to learn more about the Chinese civilization through the exhibition. Renowned Yue opera singer performer Mao Weitao is back with another hit play called New Dragon Inn. The performance is aimed at providing audiences with immersive theater experience. Shen Li brings more details. Breaking traditions and integrating fresh life into Yue opera. This is a new wave to experience Yue opera by extending the tea stage into the auditorium. This new play is called New Dragon Inn, a Yue opera production adapted from a movie by the same name. The Yue opera version creates a closer relationship between performers and audiences. Young theatergoers welcome the innovation. Mao Weitao is one of the most renowned Yue opera performers in China, known as the best female xiaosheng or the young male role in Yue opera. She's gotten inspiration from Broadway in New York and the West End in London. As well as some popular Chinese musicals, including Apollonia, and the musical has been staged around 1,000 times in two years. Integrating Yue opera with contemporary life is also what the main creative team of New Dragon Inn is pursuing. That was Jane Li reporting. Finally, we check out a recent archaeological excavation making headlines. Chinese archaeologists have unearthed the remains of several hundred sacrificed animals from an over 2,000-year-old Chinese imperial mausoleum. The archaeology de- magazine has put it on its list of top 10 archaeological discoveries of 2023. Dating back to the Western Han Dynasty, the mausoleum yielded the remains of 41 different rare animal species, such as tapir, yak, tiger. Tortoise, green peacock, red-crowned crane, and snub-nosed monkey. Archaeologist Hu Songmei from the Shanxi Archae- Academy of Archaeology said the scale of the animal sacrifice is unprecedented in Chinese history. The large-scale mausoleum located on the eastern outskirts of Xi'an in northwest China was identified as belonging to Emperor Wendi of the Western Han Dynasty. Back to you. Thank you very much. That was Wang Zihang with Culture and Entertainment. It's 57 minutes past the hour. Before we go, let's check the weather. Beijing is clear overnight with a low of zero. Saturday will be sunny with a high of seven. Chongqing is 11 this evening, cloudy and 18 tomorrow. Lhasa is minus three overnight. Tomorrow sunny and 12. Hong Kong is 18 tonight, cloudy and 24 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo is six overnight, then cloudy and 19 on Saturday. Islamabad is seven tonight. Tomorrow sunny and 23. Bangkok is 24 overnight, then cloudy and 33 tomorrow. In Africa, Nairobi will see clouds turning to light rain with a high of 26. Finally, to Oceania, Sydney is 23 this evening, then light rain and an annual unusual high of 39 on Saturday. 
Auckland is 12 overnight, tomorrow light rain at 20. Port Vila has light rain with a high of 29 degrees Celsius. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, Chinese Premier Li Qiang has co-chaired a summit with EU leaders in Beijing. Fierce fighting between Israel and Hamas are reported in southern Gaza. On behalf of the staff, this is Dou Hongyu in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.